Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip podcast. Here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this Equip podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. We were still remained in our Sermon on the Mount series, The Countercultural Kingdom, this past Sunday as we looked at the topic of anxiety and the anxiousness that is prevailing in our society that obviously even 2,000 years ago as Jesus was uh, orating there on the sloping hill into the Sea of Galilee, he recognized that this was something people were dealing with even in the first century. And so we have here recorded in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, Uh, Jesus uh, addressing the problem of anxiety. And therefore, here in Matthew 6, 25, we'll read the text through verse 34. Jesus says, therefore, now he's connecting uh, this sequence of uh, verses to the previous. And remember, the the previous week we talked about mammon, that is that Greek word that we see for money uh, there in verse 24 of Matthew 6, which is uh, possessions, Uh, treasures, money, finances, those things that uh, take our time, the materialism of our society that we often focus on. And he's saying that we can't serve two masters. We're either going to serve God or we're going to serve mammon. We're either going to focus on the Lord or we're going to focus on things. And so he's telling us, okay, as we focus on God, therefore, now he's connecting this to that. Therefore, since we know those things, I tell you, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. As I studied the text, church, uh, this week it became clear as you were looking at the uh, framework of the text, what Jesus is pointing us to as we looked at the imperatives there that were commanding us to uh, evaluate and look at uh, the world as God has created it and how we ought to respond to our anxiety. Uh, It came clear that the preaching point of this text was this, that a proper evaluation of God's providential care is necessary for those who want to cease living an anxiety-driven lifestyle and reorient themselves towards God's rule and God's righteousness. So as we look at this text, it's clear that Jesus wants us to evaluate how God has created the universe, and even as we look at the lower orders of creation, like the birds and the flowers, and we see that God is caring for all of those things. How much more is he going to care about the higher orders of creation, with the pinnacle of that, like we talked about in the sermon, being those he has made in his image, which is man and woman. And if we have a proper evaluation of the way that God cares providentially for his people, particularly for those who are redeemed in Christ Jesus, that kind of evaluation 
is necessary if we want to cease living in anxiety and with the anxiousness that drives the rest of the world who doesn't believe that there's a God who is providentially caring. Uh, and it causes us, it makes us, as we think about God's providential care, it causes us to reorient ourselves towards God's rule and God's righteousness. Even as we think about uh, the word kingdom there, it, that word kingdom uh, connotates with it the idea of God's rule. And we have to, as Christians, reorient ourselves towards God's rule, uh, his reign here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want the kingdom reign of God that is going on in heaven to be ever-present, particularly within the uh, local church, uh, obviously within the individual uh, salvation of the Christian, that the rule of God would be evident in our life. And that rule is uh, often uh, empirically evident in God's providential care for his children. This sermon focus found itself uh, uh, explained through three points in our sermon. Number one, to observe God's caring nature. As we look at the text, we see God's caring nature in creation, as we looked at the birds, as we talked about, and the flowers. As we continued the application of point number one, we even talked about how in uh, creation, both in God's common grace, that we see God taking care of even those who are not saved, uh, even those who rebel against God, we still have the common grace of God as we see it unfolding in the family unit, the nuclear family, that we see that you don't have to be a Christian or non-Christian, uh, for God to have placed a pattern of creation where the infant who cannot care for itself in any measure or any way has the strong, capable family, the mother and the father, who can take care of all the needs of that infant who is helpless uh, in, in, all of its, in all of its needs. And, and we see how God has said this weak object, this weak person, is going to have the strength of its parents to keep it uh, sufficiently taken care of. And that's God's providential care just in creation as we see it. But it didn't stop there. Even as we observe the realities of age um, and its impact on adults, we recognize as we become uh, elderly, as we become senior adults, we recognize our ability, uh, often even though we won't, don't want to admit it, uh, our ability to care for ourselves uh, lessens and lessens and lessens over time. But interestingly enough, in that same generation, uh, that baby grows to a place where it becomes autonomous, independent, uh, physically capable, financially capable. And as the uh, parent who was taking care of that needy infant now is becoming needy in their own right, they now have the strong, capable uh, young adult or a middle-aged adult now can take care of those who are now needy. I just, if we think about God's providential care, even in His common grace, that the family unit was God's uh, social welfare system built into creation, that the weak and the needy is taken care of even as we look at God's common grace. And then we turned to look at God's special grace, the special grace that God uh, pours out on His children, those who are in covenant relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we looked at the local church body, and how as we look at the local church body, we see a lack of needs, right? not, a, not a lack of things, but a lack of needs, because as we look at the local church body, all of those who are in membership with one another, who are saved, who are walking faithful unto the Lord, who are attending, connecting, and serving here at our church, there is a lack of needs, because all those needs are taken care of. So even as as Christians, we're anxious, and we have anxiousness, and 
worries about things that, that aren't biblical. To Remember, we even talked about uh, the definition of anxiety is when reasonable care and concern turn into fear and worry. And so when we tend to begin fearing and worrying about things, we take a step back, observe both God's common grace and society, and then observe God's special grace that he has for those who are in Christ, particularly what we would call the local church, and see how everyone's needs in the local church are taken care of. There's nothing to worry about. I know that as I'm walking faithful in God's community, that I'm going to see the providential care of God operable in my life. Which does bring us to point number two, to respond to your needs in a distinctively Christian way. Uh, We live in a world that's going to respond to their needs in a distinctively worldly way, in a distinctively secular way, in a distinctively unbiblical way. And so it's important as we now uh, understand, as we've observed God's caring nature, both in common grace and special grace, that we can respond in a distinctive way, in a peculiar way as the world sees it. As Christians, we recognize that we don't, like the Gentiles do in verse 32, uh, seek after all of these things, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. Their minds are always occupied by those things, the mammon, the materialism of the world, but not the Christian, not the believer. The believer seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. That promise of God is that the distinctively Christian way to respond is trusting that God is going to provide. It's not that I become a wallflower. It's not that I become a couch potato. Uh, It's that as I'm faithful steward of what God has given me, I'm going to recognize I can respond to this in a distinctively Christian way, knowing God cares as he does for the lower orders of society and, and creation. He cares for the higher orders of creation, which is the people made in his own image, and therefore I can trust in God in a distinctively Christian way. And then thirdly, that allows us to do number three, which is bank on God's kingdom promise. As we talked about uh, on the Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11, uh, there is going to be times, I imagine for everyone, I know that's true for me, where it just, as sometimes we just don't know what to do specifically. Specifically, it seems like we don't have our own answer for ourselves, uh, but it doesn't stop us from being able to respond generally. And to bank on God's kingdom promise means that I don't have to know everything to do in a giving situation, to know what God wants me to do in that situation. For instance, here in verse 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What God always wants me to do in every situation, whether I have a lot like Paul talks about in Philippians 4, or whether I have very little, that I'm entrusting myself to Christ who empowers me to live with little or abundance through the power of the strength of Christ. And I can bank on God's kingdom promise, knowing that even if I don't know what to do specifically in this moment, that I know if I seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'm going to be taken care of because that's what the promise we have there in verse 33. So the liberty that we have as Christians is to say, I don't have to be concerned with seeking after these things because if I will seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God gives me a promise as his child, as he is the kind, loving father who is our holy God, says, if you will seek my kingdom and my righteousness, I'm going to add these things to you. So as we focus not on ourselves, but on God, he promises he's going to add the things that are our needs that he knows that we need them all, according to verse 32. And he promises to provide those things with his caring, loving, providential hand. And we can bank on that promise, as we always should as Christians. 
Now I want to take some time to answer some of the questions that you guys um, uh, submitted, which I love it when you guys submit questions. We are so encouraged as pastors to see you guys uh, thinking through the sermons and the texts of Scripture. I'd like to take some time to answer some of the questions that were submitted uh, this week. We always encourage you to submit questions about the sermons, because if you're thinking about it, odds are others are as well. Here's the first question. The first question says, I'm curious about how we ought to counsel people regarding anxiety, depression, etc. There are different opinions, even among those in Christian circles, on how to best counsel people. I ask specifically in regards to organizations like ACBC, that's the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where some members counsel people using both psychology and the Bible, whereas others depend solely on the Bible. Essentially, where do you see the relationship, or uh, in parentheses, or lack thereof, between using what we know about the processes that occur in the brain biologically versus what the Bible has to say about our minds and sin nature? I think this is a very, very, very good question, uh, which I wish I had all the time in the world to discuss just this one question, but I think we can get to a place uh, of, of help even as we briefly answer this question. Here's what ACBC wants to do. He wants the, the organization wants to turn things back to Scripture. What does the Bible say about these things? Because you remember, as we talked about in the sermon, uh, the problem uh, with uh, the world's uh, estimations of the problems of anxiety and depression uh, is always going to come from a worldview outside of a biblical worldview, uh, just like we talked about uh, the naturalist's worldview in the sermon. And so one of the problems that we have in psychology, in psychiatry, in secular counseling, is people are going to make observations, common grace observations, that God has given us in creation the ability to go and research and think through uh, and observe things that are going on in our world. And then these intelligent people, although they're not redeemed, can take those common grace realities and then they want to take them uh, and then evaluate them and come up with solutions to these problems. Now, when it comes to like a broken arm or a heart attack, those are wonderful things uh, and, and very uh, important realities that a lot of non-Christians have been able to do a lot of things to advance the ability for us to recover and heal from traumatic injuries. Uh, when we get to things like depression and anxiety uh, and, and things of the like, one of the problems that we run into with uh unbiblical worldviews, is we as Christians recognize that there's a number of things at play when it comes to uh, us as people. Right? We recognize that we have both the, uh, the outer casing that is the body. Right? We have our body. But even within our body, we have an immaterial soul. That is, there is a soul within the casing that we call our flesh that animates our body. That means we know when we die, uh, we, although we are absent from the body, we're present with the Lord, that we are a spiritual uh, being encased in flesh. Now, on top of that, we recognize there's a couple other things at play, too, that we have a God of the universe who is sovereign and directing everything according to the counsel of his will. Uh, and with that, we also recognize uh, biblically that there is also Satan who has his schemes and his desire to thwart God's plan. We know that that's not going to inevitably succeed but we do realize, even in the kingdom of this world, has been handed over um, in a controlled amount that God has given him. Satan has rule and control over creation here. Now, with all of those things at play, including the sin nature that has is pervasive in our society because of the fall of Adam that we see 
all of the things that I just mentioned operable there in Genesis. That is God's sovereign control, Satan's ability uh, to tempt and, and move us away from pursuit of God, uh, and even the immaterial soul that was breathed into life in Adam at creation, and then Adam's casing, that was his body. All those things there at play, even in Genesis, tells us that it is not sufficient to just assume that the uh, solution to the inner problems of the human life, particularly things like anxiety and things like depression, can be solved only at a a molecular level. We can't believe that it is only just because of the scriptures and what it teaches us about anxiety. We can't believe that there is just a neurological solution. Although there are times we get to organic problems, I think just off the top of my head, uh, like uh, for, for women sometimes who may have a thyroid condition who can cause mood swings. And we can meet with, with a gal and maybe her and her husband are fighting and, and going back and forth. Uh, and a wise counselor, even a, a wise biblical counselor, you know, as we see them going back and forth, maybe able to ask questions. Hey, how are your hormones doing? Right? How is that? I mean, have you got your, ch- your thyroid checked out, for instance? Um, and I know this has been true in conversations I've had in the past. And then they go to the doctor, find out they have an overreactive thyroid that's been causing mood swings. Uh, they take a uh, they take a, uh, a hormone stabilizer, and voila, they're obviously still dealing with marital problems that come with being married. But we see that there are organic problems, and we're not going to say there aren't organic problems. But we're going to say one of the problems with uh, the secular psychology, secular psychiatry, and even the research being done is done almost exclusively from a secular worldview. Now, here, again, is the problem that even uh, the director of ACBC is going to point out. There is a gift, like I've said earlier, of the common grace of God for people to research and observe God's creation and to come up with really wonderful observations that give us uh, great solutions to problems. But here's often the problem. The problem is every observation that is made and all research that is done uh, does not rest in raw material. What I mean by that is everything that has been done in research is observed and then interpreted and then applied. And so everything that you see, whether it's in the doctor's office, whether it's in your own life, and whether it's in your local church, everything that we see is observed and then put through a framework we call a worldview. And that's how it's interpreted. Now, the problem with those who do not have a biblical worldview, who are atheistic, agnostic, uh, even those who have pantheistic worldview that do not believe in, in the God of Scripture— they're going to take all their observations, and they're going to put them through a framework, through a, uh, through a funnel, to get to a conclusion and apply that raw data in a way uh, that gets them to a solution that they think is going to work. Now, the problem is, with those realities, if we're making observations in God's common grace with, the cr- with creation, but yet we make those assessments with the understanding there is no God, uh, there is no sin nature, uh, we don't have Satan and his schemes, Uh, and the temptations of our flesh pulling and pushing against us, then, of course, when we take that data and the observations of our society and we put it through uh, a lens of an unbiblical worldview, we are almost never, particularly when we're talking about problems of the inner person, that is, the immaterial soul, or never, which often the problems of the immaterial soul manifest itself many times in physical problems with the person. We see that in Scripture. We know that to be true even as we think broadly about the human life. Uh, even David says, my bones are wasting away. He's saying, I feel like there's this physiological problem. The problem was an inner problem with his soul and its relationship to God and sin. And we're going to say, if we do not have a biblical worldview about many of these problems, uh, we're going to be taking 
uh, those who have an unbiblical worldview who have wonderful observations, which we should take those observations and we should say, how, how can we take those wonderful observations that some of these very intelligent people have made and make sure we funnel them, not through their worldview, but through a biblical worldview, and then come out on the other side of that with wonderful application that glorifies God and is most helpful for those, uh, for, for the believers of our world. I think that's a wonderful question. Much more to say about that. Uh, but I hope that at least helps us get to a place where we can start thinking biblically about uh, things like counseling. The second question here is, how did you prioritize God while simultaneously being committed to a college football team? I struggle with idolizing the sports and fitness in my life, specifically football. I do love the sport, but I notice it dominating my thoughts throughout the week, and I want to make sure it's not taking place above God in my life. Well, one of the good news um, that, that when it comes to the context of this problem is Pastor Evan and I both had played college football. Uh, my wife, Kayla, she even played collegiate soccer. And we recognize the time and commitment that uh, playing on a collegiate sports team takes in a person's life. But we got to make sure is that it does not take priority over seeking first the kingdom of God. And we recognize there's some things, even as you look at uh, the college athletes on staff at your church, we recognize that that time's over in our lives, and we need to rec- recognize in our life that it is a small, fleeting time in our life, and that should help us recognize, even as our daily Bible reading suggested this week, we got to make sure, as we know that much of the things in this life are vanity, that means they're fading away, that they're transient, for us to recognize we got to focus always on the most important thing, and it is a wonderful thing to love things that God has created, love things that man has created as they have creative minds like football. I think it's a wonderful thing. Me and my wife love to watch football together. But it's, it's becoming a place where I'm going to say that when I start sacrificing for those things, when I start, my mind is overwhelmed with thinking about those things, when I am willing to skip things of the Lord to do those things, that's when I have to begin saying this is Uh, this is vanity. These things are passing away. God and his word never pass away. And so I need to make sure I'm always prioritizing the things of the Lord. Although I want to be excellent at the things that God has placed me in, even if it's college football. But if I'm recognizing that those things are taking uh, my emotional, physical mind space, they're taking all of my, uh, taking all of my time and my sacrifices, I have to ask myself a hard question. Is this worth me sacrificing uh, my life and my relationship with the Lord to focus something that I know is not even going to be here in a couple of years. And so I think even things like fitness, fitness is a wonderful thing. Uh, staying in shape is a great thing. But even as, as Paul says, uh, physical exercise is of some value, but godliness of ultimate value. And so he's saying it's great to be in shape. It's better and more advantageous for you to pursue the holiness of the Lord. And if you find yourself being dominated by thoughts of these things, you need to ask yourself, uh, even as, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians, are, are we making sure that we're taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ? And you need to ask yourself, would this be obedient to Christ if I continued in this way? And if not, I need to repent of it. I need to begin making plans in my life to ensure uh, that I'm going to make right godly decisions. They're going to advance uh, me and my walk with Christ and not hinder me from pursuing a life that pleases the Lord. The third question here is, people often tell me anxiety is a spirit that needs to be prayed for to heal from. They also say lust, fear, greed, and depression have their own spirits that are attacks and need deliverance from. Can you please discuss this topic? For I can't find an explanation in scripture, but it's a common conversation that I have. I think that's a really great question. It is something that uh, we do see that's pervasive in our culture for, for a particular number of reasons. 
But without getting too deeply into those, to answer the question this way, there are a lot of people, uh, particularly on one uh, branch of Christianity, who believe that everything that we deal with uh, is a demonic force that is imposing itself on our life through a demonic spirit. Uh, and uh, one of the problems that we're going to we're going to have with that is not that I don't I think there is some truth to the reality that there is all there is the evil uh, schemes of Satan and there's often uh, demonic uh, realities in the life of the Christian that one of the problems we get here as we even read this question they tell me anxiety is a spirit that needs to be prayed for to heal from the problem with that is often that we're not going to take culpability for the sin nature in our life we're going to blame that on demonic forces now, the problem with that, even as we look in Genesis, as Adam was in the garden and the demonic presence of Satan was there tempting Adam, as God approaches Adam, he does not say, let me get rid of the, uh, the satanic spirit uh, in your life, which he does. The promise after he was tempted and Adam failed was that he would crush the head of the serpent. Uh, but Adam was culpable for how he responded to uh, the, uh, the reality of Satan's presence in his life. And so one of the problems that we often have in this deliverance culture, in this deliverance ministry, is we, we take away the culpability of sin and the sin nature of a person, and we blame it all on Satan, and therefore the problem never lies in me as a person. It always lies outside of me uh, in the spirit that is uh, overwhelming me. Now, what I don't want to do is go so far over to the other branch to say every single thing that is happening to you is everything to do with your sin and nothing to do with the schemes of Satan, because I don't believe that that's biblical either. I think there's a reality that my sin is a major factor in why I don't obey the Lord and why I deal with things like anxiety. And there's also the reality that Satan schemes, right? The war that we have is not a carnal warfare, it's a spiritual warfare. So obviously there's going to be um, the, the spiritual realities uh, that are going to be oppressing the Christian often, uh, but that's why it's so important to seek the things of Christ, to keep my eyes focused on the things above, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that I would continue walking in faithfulness to the Lord, because I'm walking in faithfulness to the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm going to be uh, denying the reality of those, what are you call demonic realities, the schemes of Satan, to be operable in my life as I'm focusing on the kingdom of heaven. There's much more we can talk about in that idea of, uh, as, as we think about deliverance ministries and how I don't believe uh, that those are going to be helpful, and often there's a lot of unbiblical practices wound up in that. I just think what we need to make sure that we're doing is we're trusting in the Lord, that we're following him, that we're repenting of our sins, we're recognizing that there is uh, a spiritual force of darkness that is active in our world, and that is another reason why it's so important to walk in faithfulness to the Lord, because as you're walking in sin, you recognize sin originates from the rebellion of humanity through uh, the empowerment of Satan and demonic spirits. And so what we're going to say is, you think that when we talk about running away from sin, we're just saying that, oh, you know, we're just, you know, prude, or we're just, you know, we're just buzzkills. It's like, no, you don't realize as you're pursuing sin, you're pursuing the very things that Satan and the demonic forces had uh, pursued that got cast out of heaven, and that are actively trying to create a pathway into your life. And we're going to say, get away from those things pursue godliness, reject sin, run away from it, because you don't, as we think biblically about where those things originate, we never end up in a place that is good, godly, and wonderful uh, in the life of the Christian. Let's see. Uh, these are all wonderful questions, and we have some more. I'd like to answer this next one as well as I can. 
this was only briefly mentioned in the sermon, but what does God's discipline typically look like? How can we know when God is disciplining us versus just random bad things happening? It's a good question because as we recognize in Scripture, it teaches us the sun will rise on the just and the unjust, and it will uh, rain on the good and the evil. So we recognize there are just things that are going to happen to everybody regardless of their standing with God. But we do recognize something, as we even as we read in the book uh, of Hebrews, it says that God's discipline is going to be active in our life. And uh, even as I try to pull up some stuff here, uh, that kind of shows us that uh, even in Hebrews 12, uh, it says, Have you completely forgotten this? The encouragement that is addressed to you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. I think that Hebrews 12 passage is a really great uh, text that teaches us that God does discipline his children because he loves us. He desires us to uh, be able to be directed and corrected in a way that leads us on the path of righteousness and not in the path of destruction. And so, you know, as we think about God's discipline, really, as a Christian, some things we can ask ourselves is, do I recognize I'm living outside of God's uh, of, of God's will? Am I living in sin? And you recognize there's a lot of things, and I even like to think about it uh, in a couple of ways. There are worldly consequences of sin, like we recognize if I break the law, I'm God has, in the fabric of society, created a justice system where I'm going to have uh, societal consequences of my sin, but there are also spiritual consequences of my sin. Uh, obviously, we know that in its ultimate reality, apart from Christ, the consequences of our sin is eternal uh, death in a place called hell. But I recognize that often uh, the sin that is evident in my life that has spiritual consequences also has physical, uh, societal consequences. And you're going to notice that God, it's a wonderful gift of God that there is consequences for sin in this culture, although not completely, uh, it's approximately a justice. There is no exacting justice in our society, unfortunately, because of the realities of sin. But for us to recognize as we think about the discipline of God to say, hey, am I living in sin? Because the reality is, is the things that take me from uh, pursuing my sin that wreck my life or put me at rock bottom uh, is in one way or the other, either through God's direct uh, hand in your life or even through the societal uh, consequences of those things, uh, God would use in his sovereign will to direct you back to him. And so sometimes we see that very clearly. Uh, even as we see accountability uh, in that, like in the church, right? If I'm sinning uh, and my brother calls me out, well, there's a discipline because that's going to be, I'm going to be rebuked, I'm going to be corrected, and I'm going to feel a little, I'm going to feel a little broken. I'm going to mourn over my sin. I'm going to have some accountability put in place there, and that's going to hurt, and there's some discipline there. But discipline can look uh, in, in many different ways. Uh, I think one of the problems is, is people often don't want to think that God disciplines them at all, uh, and therefore any misfortune that happens to them uh, is just uh, a bad and unfortunate situation. On the other side, where people like to go is, well, if you're saying God disciplines me, then you're saying everything, every time something bad happens to me, it's God's discipline in my life. I'm not going to say that either. But what I'm saying is it's good as a Christian to recognize, am I walking in the will of the Lord? If I find myself walking outside of the will of the Lord, and one of these things are happening, uh, it would be safe to assume that that is a great op- opportunity for me to recognize God's discipline in my life uh, and to walk faithfully faithfully as I repent and turn back to the Lord. Really, really great questions, guys. Uh, man, I got three more. Uh, I'm going to try to wrap them up as uh, briefly as I can while trying to answer them in a sufficient way. 
Pastors, can you address the anxiety that comes with caring for an aging parent, one who is not right in their mind, such as dementia and Alzheimer's? Uh, how to care for them biblically while also guarding oneself from the negativity, hatred, and aggression and agitation towards you as the one caring for them. In this sense, the anxiety and stress feels like it goes away when not in their presence. I build myself up with God's truth, word, worship, prayer before entering time with them. Thank you for taking the time to answer. Here's one of the, the really difficult things about the reality we live in and the sin nature that, that is is pervasive in our reality, that uh, because of the sin that entered into the world, we know things like disease are, are very active, even things like dementia and Alzheimer's. Uh, for us to recognize that these are uh, terrible realities in the life of uh, our society and things that are not uh, that are not kept from even the Christian here. Uh, and, you know, as I think about you, if you've, who've asked this question, of the fact that you are caring for your aging parent who's dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's is a faithful thing to do. There are many ways to be faithful in dealing with your aging parents, but the fact that you are actively involved in their life and in their uh, uh, in their illness is such a wonderful, uh, I would even argue, the way that God has created a providential care to take place. Like, yes, we have doctors, we have hospitals, we have rehabilitation centers and even nursing homes that have their place. Uh, but instead of saying, I'm going to send my, my parent off to a nursing home and I'm just going to leave them there until the Lord calls them home, uh, like, like so often does, and we recognize the actual damage that does to people to kind of, you know, throw them down the road, uh, so to speak, and, and not see my active involvement in them is not, I believe, the way that God has called us to live uh, in our culture or in our society at all, uh, but that we are called to take care of our parents, even as they're de- dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's. And there is a reality that we're not going to get away from the consequences of sin in our families. If we're going to only spend time with the people and care for the people whose sin is not evident in their life, we're going to have a hard time uh, caring and dealing with anyone in our life. And I know problems with dementia and Alzheimer's, I've seen it. There is a lot of negativity and hatred and aggression and agitation towards them as they are confused, as they are deteriorating in so many ways. And it's just a terrible, terrible reality to face. And the fact that you as, as a child are saying, I'm going to love them, I'm going to care for them, even though it's very difficult, I think is a, such a wonderful thing that Scripture teaches about, about just the mercy and the grace that is involved in the reality of a child taking care of their aging parent. And uh, my counsel for you uh, would be, hey, there there are, and, and I want to just make sure I clarify, we're not saying nursing homes are bad. We're not saying rehabilitation centers are bad. We're saying how we often may use them to uh, shirk our responsibility or to uh, put that burden on other people uh, versus taking some of that on ourselves as, as we see our responsibility to take care of our parents, even as they're going through times like this got to make sure we're utilizing a nursing home well. Is it great to have staff who are trained in these things? Absolutely. But are you going to visit them? Do you make a regular habit of caring for them, of making sure that you're not just putting them uh, out of sight, out of mind, but you're putting them in a place they can be cared for, but also uh, in an environment where you can uh, physically be there with them, you and your family and their friends, the local church, because if they're Christians and they're dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's, they still need to be involved in some manner in their local church, all those things. And what we're saying is it's a bad thing. It's hard. Uh, and I recognize it's easier to, when I'm not there, I just feel better. And I, and I understand that. And uh, the reality of the matter for us is to be faithful, uh, even in the midst of uh, a high stress and an environment that would give me anxiousness. But to go in, like you're saying, with God's word, as you worship and pray before you enter time with them, I think is a wonderful way 
that you could uh, be faithful in those times. Not saying it's going to be easy, but saying that I believe it's a really wonderful, faithful thing that you're doing in the midst of difficult circumstances to uh, represent Christ well by dealing with those who are in need. The last two questions, this one says, can you please expound on the topic of focusing on our daily bread? I'm a planner by nature, but want to live in obedience to the scriptures always and focus on the day today. I don't believe God is against planning, and I think we see a lot of things in Scripture are planned out. As a matter of fact, the temple was planned out well before it was built. God had a perfect design for it, even as we see the tabernacle being built there in the wilderness. We can continue going by all the other kinds of planning you see going on in Scripture. The reality is, Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. I think it's obviously another example of the the plans uh, that God cares to, uh, to have and wants us to even be thinking about. Uh, really, as we think about focusing on our daily bread, what we recognize, even as I was uh, jokingly saying, uh, we can't eat our lunch tomorrow because it's not yet there. We have to eat our lunch today. And I think that really that focus on saying, do I have what I need today? Because really, today is the only thing that we have. We can be thinking about tomorrow. We can be planning for tomorrow, which I think is a wonderful thing. Uh, but we got to make sure that planning for tomorrow uh, is not taking up our today. Because we don't know what tomorrow brings. That's what James says. Who are we to say we're going to go to this place or sell this and this over there? We don't know what we're going to do because we don't know if tomorrow is going to come. And we don't know uh, in our limited, finite capacities and faculties everything that's going to happen tomorrow. But what we do see is faithfulness for today. And as we're thinking about planning for the future, we just got to make sure that planning for the future does not remove my faithfulness in today. And if I'm faithful to live obediently to Scripture today, to God's will in my life today, I'm always going to be focused on what is going on right now, but also as I'm prayerfully considering what God may have tomorrow, that I do spend time thinking and planning for the future. But I'm always making sure that my focus is what God has for us today. Lastly here, uh, how do we truly distinguish what is basic need versus something we simply would prefer? Some may have one pair of jeans and they think that's their basic need met, and some others may say they have two or three pairs of jeans and that's their basic need. Well, here's, I think, one of the things that we need to uh, distinguish here is I'm not concerned of what one person thinks their basic need is uh, uh, compared to another person thinks their basic need is. Uh, Reality is Scripture tells us our basic needs. Uh, They're that we have clothing. They're that we have shelter. They're that we have food, right? Uh, You know, the reality is, is you... Uh, can have you can have a different number of often these things uh, and and be fine you know it, I'm just gonna I think even as I look at this is three pairs of need uh, three pairs of pants your basic needs I think that you could uh, deal with less than three pairs of jeans do we need a pair of jeans absolutely particularly depending on where we work and I'm gonna say that I think that the ask this question uh, in a different way w- would be more uh, efficient and, and helpful for us it's like hey can I wake up today and be faithful to what I have in front of me with what God has given me? And that means that if I have those things, I have my basic needs. Am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to, uh, like for often, you know, if it is number of clothes, I remember growing up in a poor family, and a lot of times our clothes came from places that uh, were commensurate with how much money we could pay. And, uh, you know, were my parents faithful to clothe us? Absolutely. When I went to school, did I always feel like I was top of the line, you know, dress? Absolutely not. But my parents' faithfulness uh, to the Lord in caring for us was not dependent on uh, if I felt like I was the best dressed in the class, but that I was dressed and I was able to be faithful to where God had me as a child that day, and my parents were faithfully taking care of my needs that day. hope that illustration kind of helps that out 
to recognize uh, to for God to be faithful to us doesn't mean that He must be faithful in the measure that we would expect to be able to live the kind of life we want to, but that we would, in every scenario, be able to live in a life that be effectively pleasing to the Lord because He has met the existential needs of our life. Well, guys, I am so grateful. Even as we've been on this podcast for almost 40 minutes, you guys answered or asked so many questions, and I just pray that these answers were in some way helpful for you and encouraging to you. Uh, and as we look and bank on God's promises that we know that God, either through his common grace or special grace, even as it's operable through the Holy Spirit and Christ through the local church, that we would make sure that he would see that all of our needs are met, that we would, that, and that we, uh, as we're waiting on the providential hand of God, would seek first his kingdom, that we would be focused on the stewardships that he's given us, that he has given us everything that he has given us for a reason, that we would steward him for his glory, and that we would pursue holiness that we would take off, put off sin, and put on the righteousness of Christ uh, through turning away from sin and pursuing holiness, that we would think about evangelism, that euangelion, that good news, that we're thinking the best thing that I need to do every day is remind myself of the good news of Jesus Christ, that I'm redeemed, that he has put me in a body of believers, and he has gone to prepare a place for me, that I, they, I may be there as well. There is good news about God's providential hand, that my eternity is secure. He has promised me people to live life together with here, and he's given us his Holy Spirit as our great helper. It's wonderful. Evangelion, the good news, evangelism, and then discipleship. Are we walking in step with other believers? Are we living life with other people? As uh, we recognize so many of the scriptures in the New Testament tell us to care for one another, to encourage one another, to build up one another, to carry one another's burdens. So we think about one of the ways that we can see God meeting needs. Often, it's through the one another's. So I always encourage you uh, with those uh, four applications, S-H-E-D, that we would uh, deal with our stewardships well, that we'd pursue holiness, that we would remember the good news of evangelism, and that we'd walk in discipleship. All right, church, briefly, baptism service, October the 15th. If you have not been baptized and have been saved, or either recently or in the past, and have not followed through Believer's Baptism, we'd encourage you to sign up today for our October 15th baptism service. We have our Women's Fellowship on September the 28th from 9 to 11. I want to encourage you gals to prioritize that, whether you're from 6th grade or up, that you would meet there for our Women's Fellowship. For our Kids Choir on December the 17th, that Christmas choir is for K through 5th grade. Registrations are now open. Rehearsals begin on October the 1st after the second service. So if you have a child K through 5th, we'd love for you to sign them up for the Kids Christmas Choir. We uh, have a prayer night coming up this uh, Sunday, September the 24th, from 5 to 6.30 p.m. We have a family room for you if you want to bring your kiddos. And we have a place there. We'll also, as uh, we do our prayers uh, corporately, that we also have some updates we'd love uh, to give to you guys as well. And so we look forward to seeing you at our next prayer night. All right, Compass, so thankful for you guys. Looking forward to seeing you next week.